It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Today's episode is inspired by an experience that Jason and I are having on the first day of May 2021. You'll be listening to this at least nine days after we record this. And I say that for context because one of the things we're going to talk about today is a bit not time sensitive, but it probably has already ended and might not fully apply to you, but we're going to use it really as an example. And it's something also that we've talked a bit about on our show before in other episodes, but I want to look at it from a different angle, different lens, different perspective that shifted over time. And that is marketing and psychology, especially when it comes to buying and selling. Jason and I, as of today, May 1st, 2021, are in a bundle sale, which again, I think we've referenced on at least one other episode in the experience. I know I've also talked about my experiences on my own in bundle sales. But for those of you who might not have heard those episodes, uh, first of all, you can go and listen to them. They will be linked in our show notes at wellevator.com. Every single episode of our show has a transcript. Most of them have a YouTube video. Most of them have a, well, all of them have a resource list. So anytime we reference something, we want to make it easy for you to find. And that's over at wellevator.com, our website that's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You click on the podcast button at the top and you can find any episode. There's even a search bar. So if you have trouble finding an episode like this, just type in a keyword like bundle and this will come up. And along with some of the other episodes, when when you find this, like throughout the transcript, actually there's hyperlinks. And then at the very bottom of our show notes, there's a list of everything that we talked about. And by the way, if you ever have feedback for how we can make the whole podcast more beneficial for you, helpful for you, please let us know. We really do things like that to support you and make the overall discovery process easier. So in the show notes for this episode, We will link to previous episodes where we've talked about our experiences with these bundle sales. And a bundle sale is when a number of people, usually authors, course creators, sometimes influencers, people that create products online, usually digital products. It's very rarely physical products, but sometimes people will include physical products as part of a bonus. So let's just say, Jason, actually off the top of your head, do you know how many people are part of this current bundle that we're in right now? I don't know how many people because there are certain people that are offering multiple products, but it's over 98 products. So at least 90 people. Again, there's a couple content creators that are offering multiple tiered offerings. So let's just say 90 plus. Got it. That's a lot of people. And all of us virtually came together. Most of us don't know each other. We know a few people. Some people we have, quote, known since the first time we did this bundle. It's called the plant-based bundle. We did it for the first time in November 2020. And it's kind of given us the option to participate again. And I think this is our third time doing it in the past four or five months. And so these approximately 90 people contributed all their products together. 
to offer them at a low price. In fact, the one that we're currently in right now is worth over 4,000 US dollars and it's being sold for $50. So it's an incredible deal. And when you sign up for $50, you get access to all of those ebooks and online courses and digital resources, including our program, The Consistency Code. And Jason and I have experimented with these bundle sales off and on for years. We were originally, I think the first one I was officially part of was the No Meat Athlete Bundle. Jason and I used to do these separately with completely separate products. And then once we started our company, Wellevator, and this podcast, we found it more beneficial to combine forces and just do it you know, with one offer. And we've had interesting successes. I mean, there are different reasons for us as, as creators to do these bundle sales. I think the primary reason and more of like a superficial reason that someone like us would do this is for money. And the way it works financially is that you get paid a commission similar to an affiliate structure if any, or a referral program, if any of you have ever done that, you get paid when you somebody clicks on your specific link, you get a commission based on that sale. So yes, all the courses are, or all the digital resources are, are available for $50, but Jason and I only get paid when somebody uses our link. And we get paid, I believe, $30. The organizer of the bundle sale gets $20 of that commission, and we don't make any other money from the sale. Some bundle sales, which I much prefer, and moving forward, I think I might, I wouldn't say exclusively do, but much prefer to do, is they will give you a percentage of the total sales at the end. I think that makes a lot more sense because as we've been evaluating this experience, there aren't a lot of benefits Aside from two things, one would be the money, which supports our business as business owners. And two would be being connected to people that we might not have known previously. But that comes with its own set of challenges, which we might get into today. And I'm sharing all of this, A, because you, the listener, we like to be very transparent about our business. We like to talk about our experiences. And then B, if you are a content creator, if you are a business owner that has been considering a bundle, maybe our insight would help you decide if this makes sense for you. And after doing more than I can count, I would say at least 10 of these bundles over the years, Jason, I know I have, and I think I can speak for Jason, been reevaluating whether or not we want to do this and also the core reason why. And that's a big part of this conversation too, is as somebody who's very centered in the question why and passionate about raising my awareness and being very mindful about my decision, I also want to inspire you, the listener, to reflect on your purchasing choices and really understand what's going on behind the scenes. So to wrap up all of this, we make a little bit of money. And honestly, we don't make that much. To give you some perspective, the very first time we did this bundle, I think we had approximately 2,000 people sign up for our course, The Consistency Code. And that would be normally, let's do the math here, our consistency code outside of a bundle when it's not on sale is $195. So times 2,000 people. If we had been paid full price, you and I would have made close to $400,000 selling it that way, right? Now, if we were paid $50 for each of those 2,000 people who signed up, Jason, we would have made a hundred grand. 
if we had made the full commission of $30 through those approximately 2,000 people, we would, would have made 60 grand. But the truth is, for those 2,000 people that enrolled in our course, I think we made $400, Jason. So $2,000, 2,000 students divided by 400 means that approximately $5 per person we made, right? So that's <laughs> that's the perspective. Now, again, you might wonder, okay, this is interesting. It's kind of like Groupon in a way. Like remember when the B Groupon boom was happening, businesses were participating in Groupon and either not making money or spending more than they were making for the exposure. And that's one of the big reasons that you will do a bundle sale. But that is not those those two things, one of the the elements of this I want to discuss today is I'm really starting to take more and more issue with marketing and how influencers and content creators and online entrepreneurs are kind of taken advantage of, right? So first of all, the person that or the people that benefit the most from these sales is the organizer. Because all they have to do is get those 90 people involved and put up the sales page. Now, granted, that is a lot of work. They have to organize it, communicate. There is a significant amount of work in this, but they are definitely benefiting as much, if not more, than the other content creators. Because in this case, they're getting $20 every time somebody buys. I don't know exactly how many people have bought the program. I would be willing to guess at least 5,000. So $20 times 5,000 is a hundred grand that they make just by bringing in all of these people. Now, I don't think the amount of work that it takes them to accomplish this, they probably put in a month's worth of work. So let's just say for a month, you make a hundred grand. That's pretty awesome. Someone like me could, <laughs> could live for years off of that money. So maybe you and I should consider doing a bundle, Jason. <laughs> I actually never considered it. It would be a lot of work and it would probably be miserable for a month. But if I could make that much money in that short amount of time, I might do it. And I would actually like to do it differently. So maybe that's part of the conclusion we're going to have today, Jason. And one of the reasons I would like to do it is not be just because of the money, but because I'd like to see bundles and projects like this being done differently. I think it's important that the creators are deeply valued and the customers really put to use what they purchase. And that's part of this conversation too. And this really ties into the consumer here and you, the listener, likely being a consumer and somebody that has perhaps purchased a bundle, maybe through us or someone else. Maybe you found our podcast through that. That's wonderful. And we want to encourage you to reflect on your purchases. One of the reasons that the bundles can be so successful is because $50 is generally a pretty small investment. And this is where the marketing comes in is if you look at the sales pages, they say, wow, look at everything you can get for such a small amount of money. Some of the bundles are more like $100. But you know, if you're getting $2,000 plus worth of services and products, for $100, that's quite a deal. But what Jason and I discovered is that literally 90% of people 
who signed up for our program, The Consistency Code, and the, the stats are probably similar for Wellness Warrior Training, our other course. We know for a fact that 90% of people who bought the bundle sale and enrolled in the consistency code in the past five months have never even started the program. They probably bought the product through somebody else, someone else in that bundle, one of those 90-ish people, and they went through the list of 90 products or so and clicked on every single one of them, entered in their email address, downloaded it, or enrolled in the case with our course, and never looked at it since. And I know this for a fact because the software that we use, which is called Kajabi, in case you're curious, Kajabi shows you progress reports. And it's not meant to be like an invasion of privacy. It's simply to give you or us, in in this case, as the course creators, perspective on how people are doing so that we can improve. So I looked at these progress reports to see statistically, were we doing the best work that we could in helping our students? But we can't help somebody if they're not willing to take the first step. Or I should say the second step. The first step would be enroll, or maybe even the third. Okay, the first step would be buying something. Second step is enrolling in it. But the third step is the most important one. And that's actually beginning. And 90% of the people never clicked play on our video lessons, never clicked the complete button at the end. And that really blows my mind. Now, statistically, I bet that's true of most courses, Jason. And I have found this, aside from my very hands-on live courses, I remember one of the first courses I did, or one of the most, there was two in the early days of my course creation. I think my first course was in 2014, and I did another one or two in 2015. And I remember back then, I would have like 20 students in my courses, and at least 15 to 18 of them were very hands-on. So it was actually kind of the opposite. 90% of people were very engaged. But part of that is because it was a live offer and they were paying full price for it. So I think part of the psychology of a bundle sale is when you can just download something and say, oh, I'll do it later, you're very unlikely to do it. And psychologically, when you pay a discount for something, most people value it less. So they won't put in the effort. And one of my big questions for you, Jason, and also for the listener, in case you want to give us feedback or reflect on this in your own life, is does that dilute the value and the impact of something when it's just part of a bunch of other things? And it's kind of about the bigger numbers game and the psychology around numbers. And you and I talked about this, Jason, in was it called compassion fade? Like, when there's a large amount of people involved, you start to have less compassion for a larger group. And I think the same is true when you get a bunch of things. It could be a subscription box. It could be Halloween candy. It could be whatever, a bunch of things at once. You probably look through to find one thing that you really love and then disregard the rest of them. And maybe you want to believe that they're all equally important, but they're not unless you're prioritizing them. And thus, they just kind of get pushed aside. And it just makes me think about, wow, like there's so much in our lives that's just basically becoming clutter. And we keep it around because we're afraid to let it go. 
We keep it around because we paid for it in some way or another. But if we're not putting it to use, what's the point? And I think it's a responsibility for us as simultaneously consumers and creators to really examine this because there's so much waste that goes on and I don't want to contribute to more waste in my personal or professional life. I have a lot of thoughts on this, Wit. And I think the first is that to use a couple of analogies that you already alluded to, such as a subscription box, or what I immediately thought of was like a goodie bag that we would sometimes receive as an example, as part of the, it no longer exists, but we were part of the New Hope, which is the organization that puts on the natural products expos. We were part of their um, their influencer co-op. Wasn't that what it was called? It was the influencer co-op. And God, well, it was either, don't quote me on this, but it was like quarterly or twice a year. Uh, they would send a giant box full of sample products from a smattering of different brands in the natural products industry. I can attest to the fact that if I go into my kitchen or I go into my bathroom, the products that I am using consistently are the ones I have paid for flat out. And if I look at the products that are in my food cabinet or in my medicine cabinet in my bathroom, the ones that have been hanging out there for years, yes, I'm one of those people, okay? I need to go into the dark crevices of my fridge and find shit back there that's been there for years. Same thing in my bathroom, okay? And I can almost feel like certain listeners or watchers relating. I feel like everyone can relate to this. But to back up your point, Whitney, about how we as humans tend to devalue things that are free or low cost or packaged with a bunch of other things. These are direct examples from my life. The stuff that hangs out that I never use, stuff I got for free. The stuff that I consume and use frequently and I'm brand loyal to is stuff I pay for out of my own pocket. So I think this is a perfect mirror and it's a perfect analogy for what you're discussing with these sort of consolidating type of promotions, whether that's something like we're doing with this bundle sale, the plant-based bundle sale, or even I'll go on record and even say, I think a lot of the summits, online summits you and I have done, where we're one of, say, 50 speakers, we're just lumped in with you know, Marianne Williamson and Brendan Richard and Tony Robbins. And I mean, and I'm saying this because, you know, we have been participating and we've been grateful to participate with some really incredible people. But I think the phrase getting lost in the shuffle is appropriate here because I think for a large part, I'm using so many analogies in one, but, you know, the big fish eat first. So the big fish being the content creators, authors, influencers, course creators that have big mailing lists that have big social media numbers, they're the ones that are converting the most over and over and over again. And I say this because I've also been part of launches with Chris Carr. I've been launches, part of launches with David Wolf, part of launches with Hay House. And you see that the, the big fish are the ones that eat the most food in these promotions. So since we're not a quote, big fish, right, as standard measurability would go, we have to work that much harder to convert. So this all goes back to Whitney. I think that, yes, we, we absolutely do need to reevaluate whether or not we want to participate in these kind of things moving forward, because I think we do spend a lot of energy. We put out the social posts. We do the live stories. We send out multiple newsletters. We put a lot of heart and energy and effort into this. But I think I agree with you in, in summary that the value 
And the level of engagement is diluted because we get lost in the shuffle because there's too much. A, because I think it overwhelms the shit out of people. And B, when they're paying a low discounted price for a lot of stuff, a la a goodie bag or a virtual goodie bag, they tend not to respect and use what's in there. I absolutely agree with that. And that's one of the big things that we change this time around, because I realized this. First of all, Jason and I, when we were thinking about this in the past five months, we did see value in getting those approximately 2,000 people enrolled in our course. A, because I thought, great, like I would love more feedback. I'd love testimonials. But most of those people do not give feedback or testimonials, especially that 90%. If they're not going through the course, how the heck can they review it? You know, so that's useless to us. B, their email addresses are valuable. And by the way, for you as a consumer, if you're not an on- online creator of any type, you may not realize this, but even when you get something for free, if you give your email address, that's part of your data, first of all. And second of all, people often want your email address, ourselves included, in full transparency because they want you to do something else whether it's to pay them for something, to listen to their podcast in our case, to watch a summit, to watch a YouTube video, on and on, you are giving them more value. It's a value exchange. So usually they'll give you something for free. But this is important too. Whenever you give your email address away, these days people are very savvy that most people don't want to simply just give their email. They want something in exchange. And so you, the the listener, have probably experienced this many times where you give your email address in exchange for something. Maybe it's a discount code. Maybe it's a free PDF. Maybe it's a free video. Jason and I have several of these. If you go to wellevator.com and you click on free resources, we have PDFs, eBooks, we have videos. I think those are our two categories. And you can have those, quote, for free if you give us your email address And in full transparency, when you do that, you're on our list and we can tell you about our podcast. When you listen to our podcast, that might financially benefit us when we get sponsors, when we might run some sort of ad, when we're part of an affiliate campaign. You may not actually be spending money, but you as a number collectively add up to another source of income. And I think it's incredibly important to be transparent about this because I personally Don't want anyone to do something without them realizing what's happening. And I don't think enough people online talk about this fully because I think they're nervous. They're afraid if they're transparent with you about what happens with your information that you're not going to give it away. In fact, that in itself is a timely topic because right now in spring 2021, there was a huge change with iOS devices where Apple changed their operating system and requires apps like Facebook, which is the big one people are talking about, to ask for permission in order to track your privacy. And this really messed with Facebook structure because if you didn't realize this already, a lot of the times you're unknowingly agreeing to give away some of your digital privacy and your information to companies like Facebook so that they can use it to make money off of you. They either want to learn more about you so that they can better advertise to you. They want to have access to you so that they can present ads to you. They want to sell your data to other people because other people want that data. You know, like there's a lot of this stuff going on. 
And most of us are aware of this, but not everybody. That's why I think it's incredibly important to talk about very clearly and transparently. But I think each of us really need to step back and ask if we're okay. There's kind of this cultural, especially with younger generations. Well, I guess it's that's a big assumption, but but I know like my dad, who I think is classified as a boomer, he's very careful about privacy. He's uncomfortable giving away any information. He does very little online. And my sister and I would kind of laugh at him. Even my mom, who's not that much younger than him, she would be like, gosh, like, why don't you just do that online? Why don't you pay this bill online? Why don't you online shop? It's so convenient. My dad's like, I don't feel comfortable doing that. What if somebody steals my identity? What if somebody does something with my data that I don't want them to? And in reflecting on that, It makes a lot of sense. I respect him for being savvy, but I've spent most of my life agreeing to those things because they're convenient and I've been ignorant. We touched upon this a little with Paul Jarvis, who's a really great source for anyone who wants to learn more about this. And uh, the episode with him, which he did a little while back, we didn't get fully into all of this, but Paul Jarvis in general talks a lot about this on his Twitter account, for example. He's very knowledgeable, and if he doesn't have the answer, he's connected to somebody else who does. And one thing I would like to learn and encourage you, the listener, to learn more about is what is happening with your data. And I think that's the side of this bundle sale, if we really look at this, like, okay, who's benefiting here is the big question to ask. And the online summits, like you were talking about, Jason, like, usually it's the organizer who benefits at the cost of the contributor. But the contributor gets some sort of perk, right? They get either a monetary perk or an exposure perk. And usually the money and the exposure are nowhere worth the time (laughs) that you're putting into it. You know, like to Jason's point, the amount of work that we have put into bundles and we've really reduced it, but there have been years or periods of time over the year where we have spent weeks and weeks prepping and preparing all of this work that went in. We spend all of this time working hard on our newsletters and our social media marketing, and and we're spending energy just reflecting on it. We're working on our sales pages, all of these things thinking, okay, how can we support people and how can we convert them? How can we generate the return on investment from this? And a lot of the times we're making maybe $400 to $1,000 total and then split between the two of us. That's the way we run our business. It's not no money, but it's not a lot of money if you add up all the hours. And I think that's something that everybody can relate to if we're thinking about our time spent in terms of hours. Like, you know, we want a fair wage. (laughs) Most people want at least $15 an hour for the work that they're doing, if not $50 and more. And if you divide up all the hours that we've spent, certainly not making that much money. And then if you divide up the value of our course, if it's worth only $5 when you break it down for all that work, it's like, yikes. And this is something that going back to the organizers who are profiting, I think they need to take more responsibility for this and be clear about it. Because without somebody like you and me, Jason, they don't have a business. They need us as creators and influencers to contribute products and to market that. 
And without us, they're not going to make nearly as much money. And yet they are making much, much more than us. And I think, so if you and I were to do a bundle in the future, I would want it to be equalized. In fact, I mean, wouldn't it be neat if, if everybody made the same amount of money, regardless of how many conversions they made? It's like working at a restaurant when people pool tips. You know, everybody's contributing something. It is a machine, the cogs in the machine that make it work collectively. If we weren't valuable, we wouldn't be invited in, but they are seeking us out and inviting us in, but then they're not paying us equally. However, if you think about what psychology makes that business model work is, I believe, whether it's an affiliate promotion which essentially this bundle is an affiliate. I mean, it's a type of affiliate promotion. Competition and the psychological cues of competition drive people to promote it more. A lot of these bundles and affiliate programs have leaderboards where they'll email you every single day and go, look who's in the top five, look who's in the top 10 and use messaging. And I've had this like, oh, Jason, you're about to crack the top five. You should send out five more posts this week so you can get into the top five. I've done that in the past, right? Because I wanted one year, this was, okay, this is going to lead me into a, a related tangent. For the Longevity Now conference that I spoke at eight times, you were at several of them, Whitney. After the conferences would end, they would have for all of their speakers an affiliate promo push on social and through newsletters to watch the replays of the conference, right? If you weren't at the conference, you can get the whole conference in HD video for a discounted price. And they would have a leaderboard of like, if you crack the top three, you know, they were giving away a MacBook Pro and they were giving away a TV and they were giving away an iPhone and all that kind of stuff. I mean, some of them, I've seen different online marketers give away cars to their affiliates. Brendan Burchard talks about this. Shanda Sumter talks about this. There are people who have literally given away cars to their top affiliates. Now, why, why would we do this? Because competition and manipulating the comparison trap gets people to work and do more. Oh, shit. Derek's in number one. Well, fuck Derek. I want the car. Fuck him. I want that car. You can't tell me this isn't part of it. Of course, it's part of it, especially if a human being is wired to be competitive, which a lot of people are, not everyone, but a lot of people are wired to try and outdo each other. A more for lack of a better term, egalitarian system as you're proposing, Whitney, where we pool all of the revenues and split them equally. Well, guess what that doesn't do? It doesn't motivate people to more, 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 post more, promote more, keep putting it out there, send one more email, do one more social post. What creates that? Competition and comparison creates that. That's why you have leaderboards. That's why you give away cards and MacBook Pros. That's why you try and drive people to outdo one another. Because it's good for the people who are organizing it. Speaking at a lot of conferences, like the Longevity Now conference, you know, it reminds me that in many cases, the house always wins. You hear this in gambling, right? The house always wins. As a speaker, we're going to get super uncomfortable here for a second. I never got paid directly to be a speaker, and I spoke there eight times. I was a main stage speaker. I'm really proud. I thought, I put a lot of heart and comedy. It was kind of like I tried to do it like stand-up comedy meets educational show. Like I really put a lot into that. With I never got paid directly. I never got a speaker's fee, nor did they ever offer me one. The only way I made money 
was to set up a booth and sell product, sell books, sell t-shirts, sell products, have other people's products, all that. They took 40% of it. Now you might think, oh, well, that's good. They gave you 60-40. No, it's not because here's the thing. I'll tell you why. When you are buying wholesale products, whether that's me buying books from my publisher, buying t-shirts wholesale from my printer, or buying, say, protein powders, supplements, whatever it is, the exact profit margin between wholesale and retail, being what I would charge at these conferences, was right around 30 to 40%. Meaning that after I paid out the 40% to the house, after I paid the hotel room fees, after I paid my assistance at the conference, after I paid the, all those stuff, I was lucky to break even. And it's so much motherfucking work. And you walk away and go, well, you did good. You broke even. Breaking even is not... I. I with all due respect in my world to put in that much time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears, and it's a lot to do a conference like that, breaking even, I do not consider a success. So the point is, if a lot of these business agreements are set up so that the house is always winning, and for the most part, and I've talked to other speakers and other vendors there, and they had the exact same issue. They're like, people who would do it and pull out, right? Like Daniel Vitalis and Sir Thrival, who was a speaker there, he's like, we pulled out because... We'd fly all the way from Maine, sell all these products. He would crush it on stage. Daniel's a great speaker. He's like, and we would lose money or break even. And we got to a point where we're like, fuck this. Why would we do this? Oh, the exposure. So let me get passionate for a second. That's the thing that they dangle over us all the time. Well, the exposure. Your product and your courses and your podcast and your brand is going to be exposed to so many more people. Yeah, but if they're on our list and they're on our social and they don't really even watch the video, do the course or buy the product, then it's just vanity metrics. Well, we got 100,000 more people. Are they doing anything? Oh, we got 500,000 people on your list. Are they do, do they care? Do they care? Not even are they converting. Do they even care? So to me, this dangle we get of the exposure is just a lead into vanity metrics, mostly. So I think the point here, Whitney, is like, we're reevaluating big time what kind of business agreements we're getting into. I'm not saying this that the people who organize these things, these conferences, these bundle sales, these summits are malicious. I don't believe that they're malicious, but I believe that the agreements and the contracts in the system is to make sure that the house is always winning, whether or not they're doing more work than us. It's not about work ethic here, people, right? It's not about work ethic. It's not about effort. It's about people structuring things where they're getting, they're reaping the most benefit. And now I'm getting kind of pissed off. Because as we're talking about this, I'm starting to get fired up. I feel a little bit sad and a little bit angry right now, Whitney, to be honest with you. I feel sad and angry. Maybe because we've continued to agree to things that really maybe don't serve us. Maybe that's the internal anger. And B, how do you and I engage in a system that there's a lot of iniquity, there's a lot of bullshit, there's a lot of manipulative tactics going on? This is a much bigger question of how do you, when I go forth as content creators, as teachers, as people wanting to have these raw conversations and change a system that's like, really, it's benefiting very few at the top. I'm not saying it's like an MLM, but it kind of is where the people at the top of the pyramid are feasting and everyone else at the bottom is scrambling to get the money to pay the rent. Like, let's just be real. That's kind of what this is set up to do. Absolutely. I agree with a lot of that. And I was thinking it does feel kind of MLM-ish. We just talked about that in a recent episode and reflecting more on... Now that my awareness is heightened, we were talking about MLMs and that got up, brought up in our discussion around 
the HBO series Generation Hustle. And so if you haven't listened to that yet, that episode yet, that's a good one to listen to after this one. It's similar in the sense of the marketing messages that the organizers put out. And I've noticed this a lot in the bundle sales. They just have that energy. I was even part of a bundle sale that somebody I know personally organized. And it was fascinating because it felt like they were having these cookie cutter, what's the term, cookie cutter emails to me as a contributor. They were saying the exact same things that other people in other bundle sales said. And I was like, wow, this is formulaic. And when something's formulaic, that puts up a red flag for me because it feels like somebody's just trying to copy the success of somebody else. It's not truly authentic, in my opinion. It's, I saw this work for somebody else, so I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it their way. And I have tried to do things other people's way a lot, and it rarely serves me. Now, sometimes you know, success leaves clues, as they say, like go do what somebody else is doing, follow their strategy, their formula. There's nothing wrong with it. But if that doesn't match up with your integrity, I think that's where this issue is. And if it doesn't benefit everybody, or I should say, if it somehow manipulates or takes advantage of other people, I really take issue with it. And I think what we're seeing here with these bundle sales is part of a huge problem I'm seeing across influencer marketing. And actually, Jason, this has been coming out a lot on TikTok. Gen Z is starting to really pay attention to how fake social media is. And I think it's building towards a movement. My prediction is that when Gen Z people turn 25 to 30, so I don't know the math of exactly how old they are right now. Let's see, Gen Z, prob- what it starts, I don't know. I don't know the math, but there, a lot of Gen Zs are, I believe, teenagers and in their 20s. And I think when they get older, they're going to start to have this uh, greater awareness that millennials did because millennials have been like, in the the core of influencer marketing and social media. And it's almost like, and same with you, Jason, you're Gen X, right? We're so in it that we don't have as much perspective. And it's affected us very differently than, than the younger generations who are suddenly like examining their relationship from a different lens than us. And that's why my prediction is the combination of, of Gen X and, and millennials who like you and you and me, Jason, we're, we're like waking up. And as we're getting older, we're kind of more in this fuck the status quo mentality. The Gen Zs uh, are gonna are coming up at the same pace. So I think the timing is going to line up that in the next few years, maybe five years, there's going to be this big wake up and shift. And I think the shift has started to happen, but it's a slow rise. And that we're going to all say, wait a second, how is our data being used? How are being, we being used as content creators? How are people taking advantage of us? And I think because influencer marketing is so relatively young, Jason, a lot of us have given up our rights. A lot of us have given away our value. A lot of us have basically made compromises because of these 
vague long-term promises that we've had that we think we're all collectively working towards. And I think a lot of the companies who are using influencer marketers are like, great, look at all this free labor we get. Look at all this free content. Look at all this free marketing or very inexpensive, especially given, Jason, speaking of value, the amount of money that companies do or used to spend on traditional advertising. I don't know the figures, but I'm fairly confident that it is a hell of a lot less to work with influencers because you can get them to be in affiliate programs, which don't really generate that much money for most of us, to your point. The smaller creator, unless you're at the very top of that, quote, pyramid in terms of your following size, at a certain level, and also even the big people don't convert necessarily with affiliate programs. So like all these companies that say like, hey, if you just convert this amount of people, you'll make this amount of money. But just like an MLM who says very similar languages, languaging, most people don't make that much money. It's possible. The math makes sense on paper, but it doesn't usually happen. And yet people use those examples over and over and over again. Ooh, like, hey, if you just convert 10% of your audience, that's easy, right? You'll make this amount of money. And people that aren't super aware or experienced see those numbers, it goes, oh yeah, I have this many followers and that's true. If I can just get X amount of people to convert, I'll make this much money. But you and I know damn well, Jason, it's very rare that the conversions happen. But then we've been gaslit in a way because they keep showing us examples of other people who have made that much money. And honestly, I don't even know how much of that is true. How do we know that the leaderboards are true? They could be fake. They could be inflated. And maybe that's why bundle sales have so many people. Because the organizers realize that all they need are five or 10 people out of that 90 to be successful. Then they can use them as the examples. And the other 80, 85 people go, wow, so-and-so is making this much money. I must not be trying hard enough. Let me work harder. Let me promote this more. And who does that benefit? The organizers. And then at the end of the day, you're like, for me, Jason, the amount of bundle sales that I've done, I keep thinking, oh, I can do better next time. And then I just keep trying and trying again. But actually, and I know this isn't just my experience or your experience, Jason, but I know from other friends of ours, their numbers have gone down over the years, not up. So the amount of work that you put into something does not necessarily equate more. And that's what I'm saying. I think when people start to recognize this collectively, there's going to be a huge shift and people are going to start to protest. They already are, but I think it's going to start happening in masses. Creators like us who are working so hard and spending so much money, to your point, just to maybe break even, maybe make enough money to pay their bills... There's going to be a reckoning at some point, or I really hope there is at least. I think that this begs a question of like, what is the reckoning though? Is the reckoning something like you and I have discussed for probably close to 10 years, Whitney? I think when you and I even first started hanging out, I remember you and I having early conversations about the idea of some sort of unionized structure for content creators. You know, and there's been talk in different arenas over the years about this subject for the very reasons you're discussing, which is like, can we organize as a union of digital online content creators for equal pay, equal rights? I mean, there was actually 
a really interesting series of articles that came out last year in 2020 about the iniquity between black and white female content creators. I'll see if I can find those articles. If I do, we will link to them in the show notes at wellevator.com. Again, our website is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. In these articles, in these social posts, Whitney, there were people, black and white female content creators, posting what they've made with brand deals. And almost across the board, for similar deals, structure, type of content, etc., white young female content creators were consistently paid exponentially more than their black female counterparts. So it's not just about, you know, an equality of pay, period. There's equality of pay based on gender, equality of pay based on race. Influencer marketing as a microcosm of the capitalist structure is no different, right? And the thing is, the way the way we have our capitalist system set up in America uh, the United States of America specifically, is that the promise in the marketing, a lot of this stuff, Whitney, is if you just follow the formula, work hard, make the right connections, network, put in hustle, all these messages, you too can be at the top. But that's not how capitalism works the way we have it structured. If everyone can be at the top, that's not going to work for our capitalism. Because if everyone's a winner and everyone is a leader and everyone's a millionaire and everyone, that that goes against the very nature of how the system works. The system works because there's, I'm just, you know, and people can think what they want. Oh, Jason, you're being so negative and you're being so defeatist. No, I'm being fucking real. The way capitalism works, the way we have it set up is there are very, very, very few winners at the top and a whole lot of people scrambling to survive at the bottom, usually working for the people at the top. Well, that doesn't mean you can't put the work in. And what about the people that came from nothing? And now they're, yeah, that's a very small percentage of humanity. The point I'm making is in the marketing, they try and make it seem like you can be one of those people. If you just work hard enough and do the right steps and take my thing and do this, you'll be in the secret club too. Nothing's guaranteed, but they act on the promise of the possibility you could be one of those people to sell you on things. It's the same reason you and I went to, you know, God bless him, T. Harv Eker's Millionaire Mind course. We could be a millionaire too, T. Harv. It's not that you and I can't be millionaires or anyone can't be a millionaire, Whitney, but the way it's marketed and promised is that everyone in the room can join the club. All you two, we can all do it. We can all do it together. They damn well know there's an infinitesimal percentage of that 2,000-person crowd that is even going to take the action, to your point, going back to the beginning of this episode, that's going to take the action and be consistent and even get anywhere near that echelon. But hey, you can be a Super Bowl champion and go to Disney World too. Statistically speaking, sorry to break it to you, you're not going to fucking Disney World after you win the Super Bowl. You're not. And that's where the gaslighting kind of comes in. And I, I, I think that's the right term to use for this. And that's the energy. And I think part of where this maybe resentful energy comes from or this frustrated energy comes from is the amount of years that I've spent business-wise, just business-wise in this case, thinking that I was doing something wrong. And if I just got more followers, then I would make that much amount of money. If I just learned to be a better marketer, 
I would make that much money. If I just tweaked my sales page and my website, if I just continue, made more content, I think this is part of the reckoning is that it's going to turn out that none of that was true and that the system was rigged just like the casino. Because who's benefiting all of the time? And people say, well, why do my numbers go up and down? It's unpredictable. People are obsessed with going viral. And I see it so much on TikTok. People want their videos to go viral so badly. And TikTok knows that. TikTok, I don't know if they set it up this way or it just organically or, or some, some combination of the two. TikTok, I love TikTok. If you haven't listened to the show very much, I, I love watching it. But I also have to step back sometimes and ask myself, well, why do I love watching it? What's going on psychologically? How am I being used? As a creator, I've really taken a step back because A, I don't always have the energy to create. Right now I'm in a point where making videos is too exhausting. So I rarely make videos. But TikTok has this, anybody can go viral, but you just have to keep creating videos until you go viral, right? And I've seen it happen where eventually somebody will get some sort of viral video and viral can be relative. Maybe it's not technically viral, whatever that number is these days, but they'll have a, a hit just like at the lottery. So when you, a slot machine, you know, you play a slot machine, you get that hit, you keep playing and then you never get the hit again until you run out of money or you stop. That happens on TikTok time and time again. And people keep making content in hopes that they will get more views and more followers. For what? The average person is not really getting benefit out of it. The people who benefit tend to be the really big creators who either are savvy or have the resources to get support. But then they become the product. And I was thinking about this very recently around Britney Spears. I see a lot of content about her on TikTok and people reflecting on her life. Britney Spears is a really fascinating product because for me growing up, she was such a big deal. And most girls my age, many girls, I should say, aspired to be her. She had the body that many girls wanted. She had the face, the makeup, the hair. She had the talent. She had the fame, the money, the power, all of these things that most human beings want. And as a young girl looking up to her thinking, I want that too. And what happens is I feel like if I want to be like Britney Spears, I need to wear certain makeup. So now Britney Spears is part of the marketing industry. She's inadvertently, she herself may not realize this, but the makeup industry certainly does. So they hire her to be in their commercials or they just use the fact that girls want to look like Britney Spears. So now you've got makeup tutorials. Here's how to look like Britney Spears. Now they're using a YouTuber to make tutorials to look like Britney Spears in order to sell you makeup. So now the makeup industry benefits and then the hair industry benefits. You want your hair to look like it. And then the diet culture benefits oh, if you want to be attractive, Britney Spears is one of the most attractive people, at least at the time. Well, you should start working out. So gym memberships benefit. 
or all the other at-home tools that you could use to work out benefit, weights and whatever else mechanisms, the DVDs that you buy to, or <laughs> right back then, VHS tapes, DVDs, you know, now online videos benefit because you want to work out to get the abs like Britney Spears. And then the diet companies benefit because you want to lose the weight to look like Britney Spears, right? So all of these industries benefit from Britney Spears being famous. And the reason that ties into now is because influencers are basically the Britney Spears. We all know Kim Kardashian. We talked about on the Khloe Kardashian episode. Khloe, Kim, that whole family, they benefit because all these girls want to look like them. So they're getting the surgeries to get their butts to look away. They're buying the clothes to look a certain way. They're doing the makeup and the hair and the dieting and whatever else. They're using the filters. They're spending all of their time when they spend time using these apps to take the photos. Now Instagram has their data and Instagram can market to that. I mean, like this whole system, Jason, this is what I mean. I really hope there's a reckoning because if there isn't, we're heading in a scary direction. And one of my big points here is I'm stepping back to say, whoa, I've inadvertently contributed to this system as a content creator. I've inadvertently contributed as an influencer. Why? It feels good to have a lot of followers because followers equal validation, followers equal fame, followers equal money. So we do all of these things. And then I also take part in that whole industry. Well, maybe if I look a certain way, to your point, Jason, I'm not making as much money as so-and-so is, but maybe if I look like so-and-so, I'll make as much money. Maybe if I do the same things as so-and-so, I'll make as much money or I'll get more followers at least. I'll get that exposure. All of these things are psychological triggers for us to get these things that we all really want at the core as human beings but then recognize that they aren't even that great to begin with. And we've just continued and contributed to the system. So we're perpetuating all of this. And that to me is incredibly disturbing. And more and more, I'm feeling like, I don't think I want to be part of this. I have an idea in real time. And the idea is, have you ever heard of a magazine before I share the idea, Whitney? Have you ever looked at a magazine or read a magazine? It's it's been around for oh, I think I, I think I remember, I think I remember first being introduced to it in the late '90s. It's called Adbusters. Okay, so there's this very cool magazine called Adbusters that their whole ethos. I haven't picked up an issue in quite a while, but their ethos was creatively calling out advertising campaigns, marketing tactics, toxic capitalism to show us as consumers and citizens how we're being manipulated and fucked with. But beyond that, also showing um, child labor, slavery, human rights violations, basically trying to educate people of like, look, this is how you're being psychologically manipulated. And this is what actually goes into the creation of the products you consume. Like, and, and in really cool ways, artistic ways, Adbusters is great. What if instead of, as you and I go forward, selling people things, courses, etc., what if we start to examine the possibility of creating content and, and having a community that is dedicated to waking the fuck up to all of this stuff? 
Because I'm sure, to your point, not just Gen Z, there's a lot of people who are looking at this entire system going, this feels disgusting and I don't want to participate anymore. Because where I'm, I'm kind of at as a content creator, not just individually, but also with our brand Wellevator, is really coming at this from a sense of like, why? Why are we doing all of this? You know, that's your favorite question. I'm endearing myself to that question too. Of like, why? Why are we do? Do we want people to wake up? Do we want people to have a higher sense of self awareness? We talk about that word all the time. But what does that mean? To me, I think in the context of this discussion, it's like if I feel like I'm waking up and I'm becoming more aware of how I'm being manipulated and coerced and molded to behave and act in a certain way in our societal structure, and you're becoming aware of that, and other people are waking up. Maybe then there is a sense of support of like, oh, I'm not insane. Like we look at this whole world that's operating in this hierarchical, racist, sexist, capitalist thing that is benefiting very few people at the top and fucking everyone else to a degree. Okay. How do we navigate this? And to your point, I don't know that, you know, and I'm not saying you and I do this, but I think in the past, absolutely, to take credit, like I've sold people on things that I knew they didn't really need. I knew I sold things to people they didn't really need. Why? What you just said, needed to make money, needed to get popular, needed the followers, needed the newsletter subscribers, needed the blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I just feel like the more the more that you and I blow this out and the more you and I dig into this, this collective wound, Whitney, the more that I want to think about Maybe we shift the focus of what we're doing to help ourselves and others navigate this gauntlet of manipulation because it's not going away. If anything, I think we as human beings need to be, I don't want to say better, uh, more skillful at navigating it, of realizing we're being manipulated, realizing we're being sold to, realizing that our greatest fears and desires are, are, are being dangled in front of us to sell things. And the question is, are we going to change the system of marketing? You know, I'm not part of my tack in this world, I don't think is to like change marketing. I think the real question is, when we start waking up and realizing we don't need most of the things we've been convinced we need, where do we go from there? A big part of this is recognizing that this is a work in progress and we don't need to have it all figured out. I actually have my program, my community, I should say, Beyond Measure, which I've been working on for almost a year uh, live. I've been working on it for well longer than that, at least a year and a half. I started testing out Beyond Measure at this, as this private invite-only community. And I felt so much pressure over that time that it's been free to start charging for it. And I recognize today, and I've felt this before, that I want to charge for it, first of all, just to cover my time and expenses. So I will charge for it at some point. At least that's my intention. Reward of Beyond Measure, the reason I've, I've been running it for free for so long, I've lost track of how many live calls we do because I do them every week. And the, the reason I keep going with it for free is because it deeply satisfies me. The whole point of Beyond Measure is very similar to what you're describing, Jason. It's giving people a safe place to discuss these things and recognize that their measurements do not matter. And on today's call, which we have every Saturday and often just an hour or so before we record the podcast, 
Today, one of my members was talking about the struggle of eating because I was asking them, we were having a discussion around consistency. I asked them, what do you want to be more consistent with and why? And this person said, I want to be more consistent about eating well because I feel like I keep falling off and I, I keep going in this cycle where I don't eat as well as I want. And I thought, that's really interesting. What if we examine that from a capitalist perspective? Why do you feel like the way that you're eating is not right? So many of us, Jason, have been conditioned through marketing to believe that we're not eating good enough. We're not healthy enough. That whole idea of not enoughness. But if you consistently keep eating a certain way and then feeling bad about it and then change your eating habits and then go back the way that you were before, maybe that's just how you live. And what if there's nothing wrong with that cycle? Marketing has continued that we have to constantly strive to get better, to get better, to get better. And then they convince us that if we don't hit whatever that better standard is, then we have to try again. Then we're a failure. If I eat processed food, I failed and I have to try again and eat healthier. But what if eating processed food is just part of your life? Who's really to say that eating processed food is that bad for you? If you are alive, then you're probably eating good enough. And that is a statement that I think will trigger a lot of people because you and I, Jason, have worked in the health and wellness field. But I'm really starting to examine all of that and thinking, what is with this cultural obsession for eating healthy? For what reason? I think it's important for us to be aware of the ingredients that we're putting in our body, but then it's up to us as individuals to make the choice of what we put into our bodies. That is our choice. But I think marketing has convinced us that our choices are not good. But when I'm examining somebody who's continuously coming back to a choice that doesn't align with all the health marketing, then I start to have these flags go up in my head. Maybe this person does not want to eat the way that marketing has told them they should be eating. Isn't that okay if that person makes that decision to eat whatever the hell they want? Honestly, it's their body. But so much of marketing and our government have taken away our rights to decide what goes into our body. And that's really scary to me too. We just become slaves to the system if we're always believing that what we're choosing is not good enough. And this is not about all of these definitions of health, but I'm feeling more and more uncomfortable, Jason, with that word healthy and those words like clean eating. I think it's kind of fucked up, to be honest. I really do. I mean, clean eating especially, like labeling food as clean is pretty bizarre, but healthy means something different to almost every single person. Every individual has a different relationship to food, and yet most individuals feel like they're not eating good enough. And if they do feel like they're eating good enough, a lot of those people think, they're up on their high horse and they're right. And everybody else who doesn't eat the way that they're eating is wrong. And that goes back to this pyramid we're talking about here. So I think it's incredibly important that we examine marketing's influence and the government's influence on our eating choices. 
and come back to that concept of intuitive eating and allowing ourselves from the specifically a mental health standpoint to just eat whatever the fuck we want to eat. What is with this obsessive control and judgment over our food choices? It's really, really disturbing to me. And specifically because I see people like my Beyond Measure member think that they're a screw up. And then after that person shared their feelings about food, they moved somebody to tears who ended up having this breakdown in our group because they were triggered thinking about their own food issues. And I started to look around in my membership group and recognize, holy shit, everybody here feels like a screw up because they're not eating what they perceive to be the right way. And that makes me so fucking upset. Just eat whatever the hell you want to eat. Ultimately, I think it's just simple like that. You just don't have to defend your food choices. And sure, from a vegan and environmentalist, that might seem like completely anti to my belief systems. But who am I to say what somebody else should eat? I think this goes back to the virtue conversation, doesn't it? In some ways, Whitney, is that we talked a lot about this in previous episodes about purity culture. I think we talked about this specifically with Nick Jaworski in our Shame Rules episode that if you haven't listened to yet, dear listener, it's a great one talking about the mechanics and the psychological manipulation tactics and some of the benefits of shame, sociologically speaking. But in this context, Whitney, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about clean eating or you talk about healthy, I think there's a very subtle subconscious implantation that implies if this is a clean food, there's an implication that then the th- other things you're eating that are not clean are what then? Dirty? Are they dirty foods? They're dirty foods. Oh, shit. Well, I, I oh, God, I don't want to be eating dirty foods because if I eat dirty foods, then I'm polluting my body temple. And if my body temple's polluted, I'm not going to be sexy and radiant and not attract the person I want. And if I don't attract the person I want, oh, God, I'm going to be alone and I'm going to be this, this lonely old person who's going to die alone. I mean, this is a very common thought pattern. Because if you insinuate something is healthy, you insinuate something is clean, you insinuate something's high vibe, that automatically implies the other stuff you're consuming isn't. (laughs) Again, I mean, we go back to comparison. We go back to qualifying things in terms of their virtue and their value. And also that these externalized things are who you are. Oh, well, so-and-so shops at Erwan and they're vegan or they're paleo or they're carnivore diet or they're this or they're that. It's again feeding in the mentality that these externalized choices and these titles and these things we label ourselves with actually reflect who we are as beings. So I think, again, it breaks my heart to hear about these experiences in your Beyond Measure group. And it also isn't surprising, though, because if you have had messaging your entire life that what you're doing is bad, it takes a long time to undo that level of programming. Right? You can't just flip a switch and be like, I'm going to eat a pint of haagen and not feel guilty. That takes time to undo decades of programming, telling you you're a bad person because you sat on the couch and you ate a pint of haagen You should have been doing something. You should have been working harder. You should have been building your business, eating that pint of ice cream. Oh God, you know, am I going to gain more weight? And therefore, if I gain more weight, I'm going to feel bad about myself because I don't fit up to society's beauty standards. I mean, it's nefarious. The depth and the level and the multiple ways we are all being manipulated 
is frightening. But the question is, okay, we're being manipulated. We're being sold to, we're being conditioned, we're being indoctrinated. Then the question is, what the fuck do we do about it? And I think that getting into the psychological dynamics of how long we've been manipulated and the ways we've been manipulated, I think this is a very good starting point. Because you can't do anything unless you realize, first of all, that you are being manipulated and you are being forced into a system that makes you feel not good enough so you keep buying things. But then if you have that realization, then it's like, oh, wow, okay. Like as an example from my own life, and I think I might have talked about this previously, but I think it bears repeating. You know, I'm obsessed with cars. Whitney knows this. I'm not, I don't find myself to be like a very, I don't even know how to say this, like obsessive materialistic person, but I love cars. It's like my thing. It's like my one materialistic vice. But why? Like, why does that matter so much to me? Well, because growing up, my father was obsessed with cars. My family was obsessed with cars. And whenever somebody brought a new car home, it was like, oh my God, grandpa got his new convertible. You know, my dad got his new Cobra, whatever it was. It was like a way to get attention, love, and validation from my family. So can I say that my obsession with like wanting a new car all the time and getting cool cars, why is that? Well, because I have a psychological association that that's how I got love and validation and attention in my family. Do I need those things to get love, attention, and validation? I know I don't, but I'm still undoing that for myself. And the car that I have is fine. I don't need to run out and get a new car. But I'm saying once we're aware of the reason this thing is motivating me and the reason I've made myself on this hamster wheel trying to get the, oh, it's because I really want love. It's because I really want validation. It's because I want attention and acceptance. Well, then how do I give those things or receive those things without thinking that I need an external thing to give it to me? Like that's really, I think, the core of the work here. It's not all the work, but I think it's the core of it right? Is we're chasing all these outside things, trying to get the love, attention, validation, and significance we crave. When on a deep soul level, we know it's bullshit. Like on a soul level, we know it's fucking bullshit. But on a human materialist level, we've got to deal with years of programming and indoctrination. And it is not easy work. It's not. And there's a lot to, to your point, Jason, reflect on and you and I are still part of the system. I think most people are. We are part of the system as influencers, content creators. We're part of the systems as consumers, watchers, listeners, viewers. All of that is part of it. Like we said, you know, we benefit by you listening to our show because then we can use you as a collective number to get sponsors so that we can monetize this show. But the reason we monetize this show is because we love this show. We don't do this show for money, but money helps us invest in quality. You do need to have great microphones if you want to sound great. You do need to have great webcams like I invest. I mean, the money that Jason and I have invested in far exceeds how much we've received. And I would like to break even if not make more so that we can justify the time and energy that goes into this. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with making money from something in integrity. Like, I don't think it takes you out of integrity with your work. And listen, like, we see this with nonprofit organizations. They still need to make some money to keep going, even if they're doing great work for the world. So, money is not the problem. I think awareness is the key here and really coming down to the motivation. I received a big compliment from this woman who interviewed me on her podcast recently. And she said that she could tell from my content that I'm passionate about it and that she could tell that I was doing it for the passion. 
And that was so nice to be reflected back to me because there's the root reason why I have a podcast and I post online. But I have also also gone through phases of being swayed out of that passion and focus more on the external benefits, the validation and the money, all of that stuff that you're describing, because it's a natural human desire to want those things, or at least it's natural in our culture, our current culture, and has been for quite some time historically. For any, we shouldn't feel shame in that behavior, especially when we're in an a system that makes it easy for us to participate in that behavior. So I don't feel shame as an influencer. I know that I don't want to be considered an influencer anymore because that word to me feels too associated with these things that we're describing. It feels associated with manipulation. It feels associated with the need for external validation and money and all of those things. And I don't want to be motivated by that. You know, it's uncomfortable. What's interesting is when I examine how uncomfortable it is for me to show up without makeup, how uncomfortable it is for me to edit our YouTube videos and look at myself and feel like I'm not pretty because I'm not wearing makeup or certain clothes or whatever, and to fear other people's judgments around my appearance. That is all very uncomfortable. But I continue doing it because, A, I want it to become comfortable. I want to feel more comfortable and confident to show up as I am, however I am that day. I want to feel more comfortable and confident looking however I want to look, not how I feel like other people want me to look or how the status quo wants me to look. But it is uncomfortable. The status quo often dominates because as human beings, it's very hard to do things differently outside of the majority. Being in the minority in general, we associate that with disadvantages and danger. And we see examples of, quote, minorities all the time being judged, ostracized, hurt, or even killed. And so as human beings, I think as a survival mechanism, we fit into the status quo to survive. So that is a very human experience. But then there's deep down, some of us feel this pull and wonder, are we being in integrity with ourselves just to fit in? And that's a big question to ask myself, yourself, Jason, and you as a listener. And also defining integrity. This came up on this other podcast that I was on, which I will link to in the show notes when the episode comes out. We were discussing how people have different definitions of integrity. And it's not up to me to decide what's an integrity for you, too. That's the big thing. I've noticed myself judging other people and saying, you're out of integrity. But who am I to know? Just like with the food, who am I to know what feels good to you, what works well for your body? Who am I to judge your food choices? Honestly, I want to step back and not judge that anymore. It's just a big desire to control and ultimately be in power. I think that's the reason that we're so judgmental. Because other people's decisions scare us. Other people's decisions feel competitive. Other people's decisions sometimes shake our sense of power. And we want to be in power because we feel like that's somehow tied to our survival. But we can survive inequality. 
And that's more what I'm striving for is I don't want to be perceived as better or worse than other people. I want to be seen as equal to others and I want others to feel equal to me. And that's another thing I'm examining in all of this. It's like these hierarchies, not interested in positioning myself as better than somebody else. And I don't want them to feel better than me and thus me be worse than them. That's just so messed up. Like, let's just be equal. Coming back to this bundle thing, Jason, I think that's ultimately the answer is moving forward. I want to do my best to be put in positions where people are equal. And it's not this like, who's going to get more out of the situation? If I can strive for equality, I might not always get it. But I will do my best to champion for myself and for others. Equality is a big value of mine. It's a core value of mine, right? And to your point, Jason, it's not like you can just snap your fingers and suddenly everything's equal. It's a work in progress and we may never fully get there, much like world peace. And not all of life is going to feel equal all of the time. But I think we can set boundaries and be aware of when things don't feel equal. And if we have the opportunity, we can say no to things that don't feel equal, or we can ask for equality and maybe get it. And then when we have the opportunity, we can champion for equality and we can create things with equality. So to your point, Jason, what do we do moving forward? That's going to be a work in progress for us to decide. But certainly with projects like beyond measure for me, but maybe you and I do, or, you know, maybe, maybe just like any great business that usually comes out of a need for something. And what I see a need for through this conversation and our experiences is I would like to see a bundle sale that does two things. One, it honors, respects, and holds every contributor in equality. If everybody makes the same amount of money and contributes this relatively the same amount, awesome. Maybe the organizer gets a little bit more because they're organizing it, right? That seems fair. That is to be expected, right? Uh, And two, that the marketing of that sale is not about competition. It's not about judgment. It's not about making people feel better or worse than each other. And it's not about manipulating the consumer to feel like they need to buy this in order to fix themselves. That's another big thing I take issue with. I don't believe anybody really needs to fix themselves. I think people are inherently worthy. They might want to make adjustments. They want might want to experiment. They might want some support and some guidance and some community. And if that's what they want, here it is for them. But I think it'd be actually pretty neat, Jason, if you and I curated a different experience just to see how it went. And maybe it wouldn't go that well. Oftentimes, what we imagine something to be is not the reality. And you and I could certainly work on a bundle sale and recognize this is really incredibly hard and there's always going to be some compromise, of course. So who knows if we'll move forward with it, but I would certainly be willing to try. Well, I think doing something like that would reveal a lot about the people who would choose to participate because not judging or saying anyone's better or worse than another But I have to assume that a lot of people are probably motivated by the competition. They're motivated by the idea of making 50, 60, 70, 80 grand and being at the top of the leaderboard. And if that possibility is there, I bet we wouldn't see those type of people. But the question becomes, as we evolve and grow as individuals, 
and business owners, Whitney, do we even want those type of people to collaborate with? At this point, my answer is no. So I think to your point, when you draw a line in the sand and you create a more equitable pay structure, compensation structure, there are certain people that will be like, oh my God, I've been waiting for this. And probably other people that are like, nah, if I can't like be the winner, the winner, the leader, I don't, I'm not interested. Great. But I think that in summary, that there is a title change coming with the level of awareness of people and how they're being manipulated and have been manipulated. And I would hope that there will be changes to the system that we're in. Because in conclusion, I'm not an anti-capitalist. I'm not a socialist. I do think, though, that there is a lot of room for people to shift from a greed and hoarding mentality to a generous, supportive mentality in this society. That I think part of the comparison trap, Whitney, is scarcity of there's not enough to go around. There's only 100 of these left. I mean, that's another marketing tactic. There's only 50 of these. You better get them while you can. Why? Because people, that manipulation tactic works. Scarcity works. But also scarcity is an illusion. So it's important to realize the illusions that are being created to sell us on things. This is an ongoing conversation. I'm sure there's going to be more discussions around this in various permutations as we go on. In the meantime, we are always very curious to know what you think, dear listener. So you can always shoot us a direct email at hello at wellevator.com. Whitney and I will respond directly to you. We always love to know your perspectives and thoughts on all of these subjects. And you can also, again, as Whitney mentioned in the beginning, find the transcript for this episode and the show notes with all of the resources we mentioned at our website, which is wellevator.com. Once again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And you can follow us on all of the social media platforms. We post audio clips from our episodes, quotes, and anything we're up to, especially active on our Instagram, which is at Wellevator. We also have a great YouTube channel where you can see us and see our reactions to things and maybe some cameos by our Anna. I feel like I should just open that door and let them rush in. Should we do that as we're closing out this episode? Whitney and I have a tradition. I feel like we haven't talked about this where when we wrap the podcast, I open the door to my office and it's always the same two animals that rush in. So I think, you know what, Whitney, since we're recording, why don't we just do this and give the listeners a peek as to what happens when we wrap an episode? Okay. So after we click off, I'm going to mute myself. I'm going to open the door. And Whitney... I mean, just do it now. What are you waiting for? Who do you think is going to be the first one? I don't need to say it. You already know who I'm going to say. <laughs> All right. Here we go. I'll say it for the viewer that it's going to be his cat, Figaro, who's black and white. He's usually waiting right by the door. If not, he comes around the corner which is not happening in real time, much to my surprise. Jason, maybe Figaro has like an auditory cue. Like maybe he knows your voice at the end of an episode. What if he like knew the words that you use at the end and he's so confused right now and he's sitting there thinking like, well, dad hasn't said bye for now or whatever else you say. <laughs> let, me, let me try it. Um, okay, so thanks for listening and bye for now. Oh, who is it? Oh, it's a surprise. It's the, right, the surprise. It's the rhino cub. Oh, hello, rhino cub. Come here. Come here. Say hi to the people. Oh, yes. Oh, well, it's usually not Bella the first one. Usually Bella's the second, but you jumped the line today. You jumped the line today. So with that, 
<laughs> Where do you so, think Figaro is? That's my big question. Is he lazy? Is he... Uh, well, I made him a new nest in the guest bedroom, and he's probably in his nest. What exactly is the nest comprised of? It's an old cat bed with a grandma blanket on top of the cat bed, and it's tucked in the corner. So this he's probably in his for nest. One thing, Jason, which is that we end the podcast now. You take a picture of him in said nest, and then we put it in the show notes to, and maybe even our Instagram. How about we do that? I like that idea. Okay. Let's make a Sounds visual good. for this to encourage people to either come to our show notes at wellevator.com or go to our Instagram at wellevator. Not because we want you to follow us for more numbers, but simply because, you know, we want, to sh- want you to see what's there and decide if it is, in fact, something you want to follow. That's true. So until next time, signing off from Bella and Whitney and Jason, thanks for listening to This Might Get Uncomfortable. We always appreciate your listenership, your love, your comments, your emails, and we will be back with more episodes. We've got them every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Fridays are our guests, and we've got so much great content through the spring, the summer, and the fall. We've got great, great episodes lined up. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for subscribing, and we'll be back with another episode soon. Take care. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.